Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, where we seek to simplify big ideas on faith, life, and leadership by having conversations with those who know stuff to help simplify things for the rest of us. Well, welcome to episode number 27 of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer. I am the host, and I hope that this conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact in your life. Today, my guest with me is a Bible scholar who has focused a lot of his time and attention around the Apostle Paul and the New Testament's vision for spirituality. Today, I'm having a conversation with Michael Gorman about a re-release of his book called Cruciformity. Michael is a respected scholar who has a lot to teach us about what it means to believe in Jesus, to believe in the cross. Uh, He is the Raymond E. Brown Chair of Biblical Studies in Theology at St. Mary's Seminary and University, and he is considered one of the world experts on the Apostle Paul. So here is my conversation with Dr. Michael Gorman. Well, it is a absolute pleasure of mine to have uh, Dr. Michael Gorman on our podcast. Michael, welcome. Thanks, Skylar. It's great to be here, and I appreciate the invitation. Well, Michael, just kind of talking with you a little bit, I didn't realize that um, I had some people in uh, in our college, um, Frank Dickens and, um, and then Shane Wood, who have um, uh, more connection with you, so um, that's a uh, that's a fun connection just to kind of learn about. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as I as I mentioned to you before we went to um, on the air, uh, Frank was my student way back before he was a professor and before he did his PhD. So we have a, a close connection, and um, Shane Wood and I have been in contact because of a mutual interest in the topic we're going to be talking about today. Michael, if if you just kind of do me a favor and introduce yourself to our audience on a podcast, you know, who are you, what do you do, and um, maybe share a little bit about why you got into um, biblical scholarship. Sure. Yeah, thanks. Uh, First of all, I'll just tell you where I I am. I I live about um, five miles from where I was born, which is very unusual in the field of biblical studies and, and theological scholarship, people have to move all over the country, if not all, all over the world. So um, I, I live in my in my native backyard, so to speak. Right. But I have I have um, I grew up in this area, which is Central Maryland, and um, left to go to, to college at a small Christian college in New England called Gordon College, not Gorman, but Gordon, and. Um, I was going to be a French major, uh, but I was a brand new Christian, and I wanted to sort of integrate my my faith, my early young faith journey with with my intellectual interests. So I wanted to be able to read the Bible in Greek, the New Testament in Greek. So as a French major, that was easy to do because we needed to learn a couple extra languages. So I got in the New Testament Greek, and I've never turned back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I did teach French for a few years, but I, I wanted to uh, continue my New Testament Greek studies and become a New Testament scholar, which is what I did. I've been teaching at St. Mary's Seminary and University in Baltimore for 30 years this summer. And um, it's an interesting place. Um, I'm a Methodist, but it's a Catholic seminary. With uh, It's the oldest in the United States. Oh, okay. It's also the only one in the world that has an ecumenical or interdenominational graduate school within it. So we're like two schools in one. 
the Catholic seminary by day and an, um, a non-denominational, I'll call it that, seminary in the evening. That's where Frank Dickin uh, did his studies in the, in the second of those. And um, I've, been, I've taught in both most of those 30 years. And so your interest um, got peaked in kind of studying the, the letters of Paul, is that correct? No, actually, uh, I had no idea I would end up being a Paul, uh, a Paul specialist when I started out. I wanted to be a Greek specialist. Mm. And I wanted to study early Christian manuscripts. That's what I did in primarily. I mean, I, I, I did other things. But that was the interest I was going toward in, in college. But I went to seminary. I wanted to be kind of broad. And, and it was, wasn't really till the end of my seminary uh, career and early PhD work that I really started to gravitate toward Paul. And I've, again, never turned back. I've So, uh, Michael, you have, by the time this airs, um, the 20th year anniversary of your book, uh, Cruciformity, Paul's Narrative Spirituality of the Cross. It's going to be re-released um, for its uh, 20th anniversary version. Um, can you just share a little bit about um, what is this book about and maybe what are some of the key um, key ideas that uh, come from come from your book? Well, I'll tell a little story because I imagine some of your listeners might have connections to this. Um, when I was writing this book in the late 90s, I had been talking about this word cruciform, which means cross-shaped. I'd been using that word, and I wasn't the only one using that word by any stretch of the imagination, but I wanted to turn it into a noun, so I turned it into the noun cruciformity. The, the character or the, the content of being shaped in the shape of the cross. And I thought I had invented the word. <laughs> and, um, and many people today think I had invented, I invented the word, but I started poking around and I found out that in the Stone Campbell tradition, especially in certain churches of Christ in the South, that word was already in use. And, um, Cruciformity is not my, the word is not my invention, it's somebody else. Then I found out that actually another scholar had created the word uh, separately uh, to describe the certain Christians in the 16th century who focused on, on discipleship. And um, he ended up being a colleague of mine. The word itself means a way of being that embodies the cross of Jesus. So if we think of the cross as the source of our salvation, that's good, but that's not fully biblical. Mm. Uh, the cross is not only the source of our salvation, it should be the shape of our salvation. Wow. So, wow. yeah, so that, I mean, in a nutshell, cruciformity is conformity to the crucified Christ on the idea that our salvation is not just cross-based but cross-shaped yeah and, and if you if you if you pick the book up which i would encourage our audience to do that if you haven't already um i mean you look through you even look through the index and um i mean it's, it's incredible the depth you go with the different facets of um the cross and how central it is um to you know paul's theology as well as his spirituality when I first started studying Paul and I wrote a, a PhD dissertation on Paul, I began to notice that Paul actually had stories that he was telling. And the most important story that he told was the story of Christ, of course. One of the ways he told that story, and, and I later started to call this Paul's master story or his master narrative, was a story about Jesus and that 
that story is preserved in Philippians. And among other things, it says that although he was in the form of God, he did not count that equality as something to exploit for his own advantage, but emptied himself and then humbled himself to the point of death. So he, hum he emptied himself in incarnation and he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, Paul says, and then God highly exalted him. But so we have a little mini narrative story in that Jesus Christ is in the form of God. He, he doesn't exploit that, but instead he empties himself and that becomes kind of Paul's definition of love, of, of looking out for the other rather than looking out for self. So I, I began to unpack that story and, and realize that there were stories within the stories, if you will. And the story of Jesus was multi-layered and multi-leveled. So that's where the word narrative came from. Uh, cruciformity, Paul's narrative, spirituality of the cross. So his story of the cross, the story of the crucified Christ. Um, and, and I looked at that as um, a way of talking about what's really essential to Paul, faith, hope, and love, in terms of stories. What does it mean if, if a life has a faithful story to it? If, if it's a story of faithfulness, because faith doesn't simply mean belief, it means fidelity or faithfulness. What does a life look like, according to Paul, that's full of hope? What's a life look like that's full of, of love? In each of those cases, it's a life that tells a certain kind of story, a um, mm -hmm. story of, of participating in Christ's faithfulness, a story of participating in his love, story of participating and taking on his kind of hope. And then, of course, those three words, everybody knows, they're called the theological virtues. But I, in, in thinking of the, the 20th century or the 21st century, as we were going into then, I thought, we need to talk about power, too. What, is, what does power look like? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> turns out it looks a lot like love. So I added that, a narrative of love, a narrative of power, a narrative of hope, a narrative of faithfulness, grounding them all in what Paul says about, about Jesus and how that applies to himself as an apostle and to all believers as followers of, of Jesus. As, you, as, you, as I read through this book, um, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's very helpful for me just reading Paul, um, just to get an idea of um, uh, some of the, the, the background to where Paul's going um, in a lot of his writings. Um, was there an idea that sparked you um, or that kind of put you on the uh, the course of this book to kind of flesh this out? Yeah. One one word is in the title that I didn't mention, where it's spirituality. Mm. Many scholars avoided that word back in the before the year 2000, especially with reference to Paul. Mm. It sounded either too... Um, Oh, I don't know. It sounds funny to say this. It sounded too religious rather than academic. Okay. It sounded too too churchy rather than scholarly. And so uh, I had to define that word very carefully. And, and what I meant by it and mean by it is the lived experience of Christian faith. Mm. So I had investigated in my PhD dissertation, what did Paul's life look like according to his own testimony? Not according to Acts, you know fluttering around like a butterfly, going to this city and that city to evangelize, writing letters to, uh, uh, simply writing letters to address issues as, as we know he did from his own writings. But 
how does he describe himself? And he describes himself as a person who lives in Christ and tries to uh, have his life resemble Christ. So starting with that narrative of Christ, I began to see parallels in the story that Paul was telling about himself to the story of Jesus. Hmm. And then I started to see parallels to what Paul was um, urging the earliest Christians to do so that they would look also like Jesus in this kind of narrative way. Um, so from Paul, sorry, from Christ to Paul to Jesus was kind of the idea that triggered this book. And I had seen okay. um, in, in my dissertation that I wrote on Paul, I had seen those connections, but I began to make them in a more systematic and, um, and uh, theological way in writing in writing this book. Uh, but I'll, if I can, um, it might be helpful for me to read a quote from the book, just one sentence. This in book reviews and in other people's writing about cruciformity and about this book, this is the most quoted sentence. So it's probably good for your listeners to, to see it or to hear it at least. Uh, this is from page 371 of the book, Cruciformity is the all-encompassing, integrating narrative reality of Paul's life and thought, expressed and experienced in every dimension of his being, bringing together the diverse and potentially divergent aspects of that existence. So in other words, it's the thing that brings everything else together for Paul. Mm. Uh, now, if you had asked me to give you the most important sentence in the book, I might not have given you that. One. <laughs> but, but so many people have quoted it that I thought, you know, it's probably worth uh, remembering. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's what got it started. And then I, I just tried to develop it from there in various ways. And um, books take on a life of their own when you write. You, you think you're going one direction and all of a sudden you end up in another direction. I never intended to write about the Trinity when I was beginning this book. I never intended to, re I, I never realized when I was writing the book that some people had real difficulties with the cross. Hmm. Um, and so I ended up writing the last chapter trying to address some of those challenges and difficulties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you unpack maybe what is it about the cross that troubles people? Well, this sounds very extreme, and this will probably surprise and maybe um, worry some listeners, but there are people who have called the cross divine child abuse mm. because it has this, I think, misguided understanding that God is sending his son to be punished. And I think that that's a misunderstanding of what the cross is. The cross is the place primarily of God's love. We see God's love poured out in the cross through Christ. And of course, that is Christ. I, I do believe that, that Paul teaches and scripture teaches that Christ suffers for us as our representative and in our place. But God is also present. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So it's not like God is throwing all this punishment and anger on Jesus. It's God's love that somehow mysteriously gets expressed in this, in this event of the cross. So that idea of divine child abuse, I think, is a misunderstanding of scripture. But a lot of people, 
have seen it that way. Um, another and related uh, has been that Paul is sometimes seen to have, and, and the scriptures more generally, to have um, called people who are, are powerless, whether it be um, the poor mm -hmm. or women, others, to or slaves, to, to take on this um, mantle of having, having to be humble and having to be um, self-giving when they have nothing to give or seem to have nothing to give. And so I take that on and try to address that really what Paul is talking about is the reversal of putting down the powerless by creating a community in which power is reconstructed. Mm as power is reconstructed in terms of self-giving love. And that's another thing about the, the next to last chapter of the book. When I was writing the book, I realized, I, I don't think this is quite an exaggeration. I think the manuscript was due on Monday. And on Friday, I realized that there was a missing component because everything was about how we as individuals were supposed to live in faith and hope and love that had a cross-shaped form to it. And I realized, wait a minute, what about the church? Mm. This is not just about individuals. This is, a, Paul's about communities. And so, again, I don't think this is an exaggeration. On Friday afternoon, I sat down and I wrote what, by Sunday night, I wrote what is now the chapter on the church in, in cruciformity, which I think is one of the most important chapters in the book. It, it, it argues that the church is supposed to be a colony of cruciformity, mm -hmm. a community of cruciformity. And if the only way we can legitimately embody the cross is to live it out in the community of others um, in, in which we also embody it and embody it in and for the world. Yeah, I, I think I escaped some of the problems that would have been associated with the book had I not written that chapter on the church. Wow. Okay. So, Michael, I want to kind of go back a little bit. Um, talking about the cross, um, uh, there's a lot of people when you look at and I, I, a wrong assumption that the God of the Old Testament is a, a God of anger. He's a God of wrath. And then you, you fast forward into the New Testament and you have a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. And there's this kind of this dichotomy that's happening um, that, that people see two different kinds of gods or different face of, of God. And in your book, you make the case that Jesus, he doesn't simply reveal um, God to us, but he reveals that God is Christ-like, which is just, to me, a profound concept. Um, do you mind just taking some time to explain uh, what you mean by that? go back a little bit to your question about these two different ideas of God. All, all the way back in the second century, there was a man named Marcion, mm. who was a presbyter or an elder in the church. Um, and uh, he said that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is not the God of the Old Testament. So you had this split. Yeah. And, and the church had to immediately say, hold on, that's really problematic. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. There's no doubt about that. But then we have to look at the, at the God we see in the Old Testament. And the God we see in the Old Testament is a God who um, does exhibit judgment and wrath. No doubt about that. But he's also the God who condescends, comes down, hears the cry of the poor, mm -hmm. comes down um, to rescue his people, 
is is compassionate to the nth degree. Uh, all these kinds of things shows loving kindness and mercy every morning. So all of that about God carries through into the New Testament. There is the judgment of God. There is the wrath of God. The judge. I, I think it's fair to say the judgment and the wrath of God are the are the backside of God's love and God's mercy. There. When God's love and God's mercy are forsaken or rejected, we experience that as God's um, as God's judgment and, and 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 wrath. But to your more important question, at least related to the book, going back to that verse I quoted, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, or to go to that's Second Corinthians five. To go to First Corinthians chapter two, Paul says, I'm sorry, chapter one, and then into chapter two. Paul says that Christ crucified is the power and wisdom of God. Those are two fundamental divine attributes. And if Christ crucified is, embodies, displays, manifests, reveals God's power and God's wisdom, those fundamental divine attributes, that's another way of saying that God is Christ-like. The, the, in fact, God is, and here's going even further, God is cruciform. God is cross-shaped. God is self-giving love. God is vulnerable love. God is self-emptying love at, at the core, at, at God's core. Uh, I'm not the first or only person to say this by any stretch of the imagination, but um, with respect to Paul, it's an idea that people had missed, I think, and now it, is, it has caught on. But um, you can read some theologians and others who say the same thing, but um, it's been it's been important, I think, to see that it's it's there in Scripture. So that refigures or reconfigures, I should say, the way we look at God, and um, it goes back to that idea that in the cross we see we see God being revealed. Um, yeah. So. I, I sometimes use the fancy words that the cross is not only a Christophany, a, a manifestation of Christ, but a theophany, a, a manifestation of, of God. We, we wow. see, we behold, we see God in Christ crucified. Michael, that was, for me personally, that was such a powerful concept. Because, uh, you, 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 I mean, you, Jesus is acting in, you know, conformity to... Uh, to the father you know and you know this is the the father is is self-giving you know he is he is sacrificial you know he is he's he's cruciformity and uh, to me it's just you, you think that the whole idea of um uh, the cross was just uh something that is um uh i guess uh, just associated with with jesus you know that this is you know but this is <laughs> it's it, it involves the the whole of the trinity you know <laughs> exactly so. yeah yeah and and connecting so yeah that's an important point um i'm glad you mentioned that skylar because when we read paul's letters especially first corinthians we hear about people and we see them today who claim the spirit inspired them to do something um mm claim that the spirit is leading them to do something that's very unchristian, very unchristlike, can be of, of a very maybe profound sense of of authority and power over people or a kind of charismatic figure or even overly charismatic person who feels arrogant about possessing certain spiritual gifts or whatever. Mm. And 
And Paul says the mark of the Christian is to have the spirit, but the mark of the spirit is Christ-likeness. So ultimately, even the spirit is cruciform, because if God is revealed on the cross and in the cross, if cruciformity is the way of not only Christ, but the way of God, then if the Trinity is one God, then the spirit must also be the spirit of the spirit of cruciformity. And um, that's why Paul says, for instance, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, folks, don't show off your gift of speaking in tongues unless you have a, a heart to build up others by bringing in someone who can interpret. It's, this is not about your own spiritual, you know, feeling goodness. It's about loving the body by edifying the body. And that's true for all spiritual gifts. It's true for the gift of teaching. It's true for the gift of whatever. Um, the, it's spirit. It is spirit-shaped when it's Christ-shaped. Mm, wow. Michael, what does cruciformity look like for Paul? And what should that look like in here in the Western um, in the Western world? What does it look like for Paul? What, is it, what should it look like for today? Yeah. So I want to go back to the community thing again. So we don't, especially in the West, over-individualize mm -hmm. it. Paul's mission was to create, by God's power and grace, a network of communities that lived out the gospel. And specifically to live out that gospel in their particular context meant to live out this story I was talking about at the beginning of our conversation, a story of God's self-giving faithfulness, love, hope, and power. We see descriptions of this community in various parts of Paul's letters, and one of them is in, in Philippians. Before he quotes that poem about, about Christ, he says, uh, you know, if there's any compassion, any fellowship of the Spirit, or any participation in the Spirit, be of one mind. Uh, don't do anything out of selfish ambition, but uh, do, do things out of love for others. So this, this community where this mutual caring makes it possible for the powerful to empty themselves of, of their status, if you will, in love, and it therefore makes it and be cared for by others. And it also makes it power, possible for the, the people who aren't so powerful uh, in that community to be cared for and there, therefore to be empowered to love others and to care for others. So there's this mutuality. Yeah. And, and it bears witness in the world to a different way of being human. So the, the church is called to be a community in the world, but not of the world. Very famous saying. Um, community that embodies the gospel as a different way of being human. That's, I think, what salvation is in, in the present. Not, not looking to the future at the moment, but living out this gospel and bearing witness to it. So after I wrote this book, I wrote some, some other books that kind of carry some of the chapters in new directions. I wrote one called Becoming the Gospel, which is about the church's mission, being this, this light to the world, if you will. And I, I think a lot of those things carry forward to today. We, we live in the West in, an, in a place where um, one of the popes wrote about it, calling it a culture of death, from womb to tomb, if you will, a culture of violence, a culture of what Paul would call idolatry. And 
we as the Christian community are called to be a different way of, of life, a different way of being that offers an alternative to violence, offers an alternative to idolatry, offers an alternative to all the isms of our world, be it consumerism, nationalism. Paul was pretty clear that to be a, a disciple of Jesus was not to um, get on the bandwagon of Caesar. And we have a lot of Caesars in the world, and we have a lot of Christians on their bandwagon. A lot, there's a lot about this cross-shaped way of living that challenges us today. Yeah, you even think, um, you know, a, uh, a culture of death, you even think we are also a, you know, a culture of um, deniers of death. You know, we want to we want to push, push this off as, as, as much as we possibly can. And, you know, <laughs> part of, you know, I guess, cruciformity is 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 a is a death of self. So okay, uh, I guess it, when you when you think about people living out this cruciformity life, uh, this cross shaped lifestyle, is there anybody that you admire um, that has lived out what you you write about in your book? I think the first that's a that's a hard question to answer. Uh, I think the first thing I would say is I'm sure there are a lot of people, people that we've never heard of, you know. The, the saints in the church who take care of others and don't ever get noticed for it. So uh, I'm sure there are lots of people. But when I think more broadly about people who are in that category of, of, of saints, not perfect people, um, you think of someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm. you know, who, who actually, in his book that's called uh, Discipleship, or in some translations, The Cost of Discipleship, Oh yeah, he he basically writes about Jesus in the first half and about Paul in the first half in the second half. He never uses the word cruciformity, but that's what the book is all about. Mm. And he lived that out. He he opposed the mistreatment of people under the Nazis. There's some debate about whether he really was part of the plot to kill Hitler, but he opposed Hitler. And uh, I I personally am convinced he didn't try to to he wasn't part of the plot, but that's a, that's a debated issue. But he his his writing is so full of of a, this idea of being a community that lives out the gospel. And um, he says in in um, the first part of the book, when Christ bids a person, he bids that person come and die. That's the translation in the cost of discipleship version. So this that's that's cruciformity to the in the words of Jesus, right? Another person I admire in our own context, again, not perfect, but um, Martin Luther King, mm. who um, took on um, the horrible plague of hatred and 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 abuse of um, African Americans, and took it on without resort resorting to uh, violence and um, bore witness to a better way, to the way of Christ. And his sermons are full of, uh, actually has sermons on, on Paul's letters that are very much in line with the kinds of things we've been talking about. Someone like a Mother Teresa, obviously, who gives up. Yeah. But I, I, I want to be careful not to put these really big names or big figures up there and say, yeah, you know, cruciformity means being a Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King or Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Cruciformity means wherever we are living out this story of Jesus together in the best way we can, willing to take the consequences, whatever they might be, for doing that. 
And that can be in very small but significant ways. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about, the community aspect of being conformed to to the cross. And, you know, I think a lot of times when we individualize everything, maybe we take it in a sort of evangelistic way. Um, here's how to serve people, and which is really important to do, you know, but here's how we can serve people and not just preach the gospel with our words, but preach the gospel with their deeds. Um, mm-hmm. But when you think about the letters that Paul's writing to, he's he's writing to resolve some conflict that's taking place in the church that, you know, even within the church, there's all this, this you know, there can be this biting, this division, this hatred that's going on. Oh, and yeah. so in the context of a larger family, practice this sort of death to your own sinful nature. And, you know, I, I just think that it's a lot of times it's it's a lot easier. Um, maybe I'm wrong on this, but it's a lot easier to love the stranger than to love your brother. Um, because those who are in your family tend to get the um, uh, the worst of it, you know, or it's, a, it's you know, there's a little bit more, tra- I guess, um, they, they know you. Yeah, that's, I think there's some truth to that. There, there's something else I, I wanted to add here, if I may. Um, it, it's not directly related to this question, but I think it's important. When you hear the word cruciform or cruciformity or cross-shaped living or whatever, you often think, boy, that, first of all, that sounds like suffering. Mm, It sounds pretty dismal. This new edition of the book, uh, well, if you hold up the cover of the old edition, uh, some people said to me, yeah, that's, that's right, all right. Take that cross and hammer it over people's heads. So I was really happy when they were going to change the cover for the new edition. And um, it came with a beautiful picture of the cross on it. And the cover was all black. I thought, wow, it sounds like death. Well, of course, because, you know, cross is about death. But here's here's the irony. Here's the paradox. We ended up doing the cover. The new cover is just a simple cross with a on a green background. The idea being that this way of life is life-giving. And so I've started in the last three or four years, I've started using the term resurrectional cruciformity. Um, Cruciformity is in, in, it's in the book, but it's not, the term's not there, but the idea is that it's it's infused with the the life of, of Christ, the life of the resurrection, so that when we live this way, we actually experience and pass on the life of Christ. And so it, it's it's a paradox, it's odd, but it's true. We we experience Christ's life when we embody his death. Paul, that, that's, that for Paul was the ultimate paradox. And I think it's the ultimate paradox of Christian existence. I want to close with, you know, just kind of one more question um, for our time. And that is, sure. what what would you like to see happen in the church as a result of this book? And um, you know, take that as ha- however you want, whether that's church in America, church globally. What would you like to see happen? Fortunately, in, in the new edition of the book, um, they gave me a lot of room at the end to write an afterword. And I was able to reflect on, on this question and mm. also to look around and see where this book has already had an impact, not only in scholarship, but in the church. And what, what I've been pleased to see is people taking up the idea that things like leadership, ministry with the homeless, conflict resolution in the church, which you mentioned, Skylar, things like that, people are already saying 
this is the way of the cross. This is these things need to be shaped like the cross. And you mentioned Shane Wood. Shane Wood has a, a book out that that does this. Oh, yeah. uh, a number of another a number of other people have written smaller books that talk about uh, not primarily Paul's theology, but how Paul's spirituality can and should impact the local church. There's a book by Timothy Gombus, who's um, oh, yeah. also a New Testament scholar, but he wrote a really important book that came out just recently. I wrote the foreword to it um, on cruciform ministry mm. and how important it is for pastors to embody this. I can remember a letter I got from a, a, a pastor maybe 10 years ago now saying, my denomination says, you know, you as a pastor ought to start in a small church and then get a bigger church and get more and more powerful in the denomination, more and more influential. And this pastor wrote and said to me, that's what my denomination is telling me. That's what people expect. And this book that you wrote, the story of Christ that you told me about says just the opposite. Mm. You ought to be downwardly mobile rather than upwardly mobile. And I think that is so true, not only for pastors and other ministers, but for the church as a whole. We're, we're, we're not called to be climbing up the ladder. We're called sometimes to be climbing down the ladder. Mm. Um, so I, I would like to see the church embody the gospel. And if my books help to do that, um, I'll be grateful. Um, that's that's why that's why I do the scholarship that I do. Well, Michael, um, I know personally for me it has uh, just the the thoughts that have um, kind of risen out of your book. Uh, the I guess the, the theological wrestling you know I've I've had to do. Um, it's been it's been tremendously um, impactful for me. Uh, just a just a I mean even think about the Trinity from this. Um, from this framework has been very, very, very helpful. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm indebted to you, um, you know, with through Shane Wood, as well as Frank um, at Lincoln. And so um, thank you so much for your scholarship um, on Paul, and then generally speaking over the New Testament, because um, you don't just write on Paul, <laughs> but um, no. really appreciate you time, your time. I really appreciate your um, uh, the many, many days, hours, weeks, years that you have invested uh, to help uh, somebody like me become a better um, reader of my Bible. So thank you. Well, thank you, Skylar, for having me. And thanks to your listeners and viewers for paying attention. I, I appreciate the opportunity very much. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about Michael was his humility. I mean, it was evident both on air and off. Uh, that he, he just had this genuine care for people, for pastors, for churches, as well as studying the Bible responsibly. I hope that you got as much out of this as I have. And if you want to dive deeper into the content of what he was talking about and, and what we went back and forth on, uh, be sure to pick up his um, 20th anniversary version of the book. Uh, it is tremendously helpful in understanding the key message of the cross in Paul. Uh, thank you, Michael, for your time and congratulations on the re-release of your book, Cruciformity. Well, I hope that this conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact with your life. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time.